You are listening to the Permission to Burn Your Manual podcast. I'm your host, certified life coach, practicing physician, and busy boss lady mom, Kathy Whaley, MD. This is the podcast where busy professionals like you come to learn to create a life they don't need a vacation from by burning your manual, this book that defines your expectations of self and holds you back. If you're looking to get off the hamster wheel, cultivate your wellness and feel better, you're in the right place. Okay, friends, I'm happy to have you back on the podcast today. Today, we have a special guest, Dr. Wells, who is going to talk to us about sleep. But first, I'm going to let Dr. Wells introduce herself because she will emphasize what's important to her. Dr. Wells. Thanks, Kathy. It's so good to be here with you today. I'm honored to be on your podcast, and I love talking about sleep. I'm a giant sleep nerd. And even before I got formally educated on the subject, uh, sleep was very important to me. Um, I've been a sleep medicine doc for about 15 years, and I've spent time in private practice and in academics. And um, it's something that I really enjoy. Everybody does sleep to some degree, um, but a lot of people don't sleep well. And so that's something that I really like to talk about and see if I can help. Yeah, absolutely. So what do you think is, what makes sleep so important? Because I think that people have sort of the glamorized version of sleep, right? But if we were really to look at why is sleep so essential to our function, what would you say is sort of like the high points? Yeah, I, I think there's um, maybe some misconceptions out there about sleep. Um, and for a long time, I I think the uh, idea was that sleep is just anti-wake and sleep is very negotiable, especially for people who are uh, driven and motivated and trying to squeeze as much as they can into a day. But um, sleep actually serves some really critical functions, uh, not only for our physical health, but for our emotional and mental health as well. And um, there's a lot of important processes that take place during sleep. Um, for example, um, maybe about four years ago, it was discovered that there's actually a cleansing system that occurs in the brain to detoxify um, from all of the metabolites and, and functions that go on during the day. And this is something that um, really gets handicapped if we squeeze our sleep. And so the detoxification doesn't take place as it should if you're staying up later. And then on the other end of things, if you're waking up earlier than your body wants you to, then your REM sleep or dream sleep can get truncated. And that's really important for emotional processing and regulation. So um, there's lots of different functions that sleep serves. Um, and not everything is known, but what we do know so far really underscores the critical nature of regular, consistent, and healthy sleep. Okay. I love that. I think that is very useful information because I think there's sort of the glamour of sleep, which is what we talk about a lot of the time, instead of really the practical like core necessity for it. 
And so let's assume that the listeners understand that it's really, really important. What do you think are the biggest barriers to getting adequate sleep? Because I'm going to tell you, half the people listening are probably going to be sitting there saying, I have insomnia, Yeah. (laughs) right? Like whether they've been diagnosed or not. Um, So what do you think are the biggest reasons why people are getting inadequate sleep or sleep quality? You know, when I uh, am at a dinner party and I say, you know, uh, I'm a sleep doc, that's probably the most common response is, oh, I, I need you to tell me how I can get rid of my insomnia. Um, and insomnia is, um, I would say the majority of the time, it's more related to an irregular sleep schedule and therefore not having that predictable um, ability to get to sleep when you want to. Um, In my mind, a major barrier to that is use of electronic screens at night. And we're sort of a slave to our physiology still. So even though technological advances have um, given us these wonderful handheld computers, our brain or our brain's hardware still operates uh, from a pretty ancient um, set of rules. And one of them is the rule that if there is light in our environment, that is a signal for wake. And electronic screens have the special ability of having short wavelength blue light as the primary admittance. And the brain is especially responsive to that. So there's actually a group of cells in the back of the retina whose whose structure and signaling changes when they detect that blue light. And that signals our brain's body clock or the suprachiasmatic nucleus that it's time to be awake. Now, for some people, that means that they have trouble getting to sleep. And a component of that may be sort of an emotional wind down, because if you're up working with some component of stress or you're on social media with some emotional component, then that can be compounding the issue. Um, Other people tell me, I actually get to sleep just fine. But if I were to do a sleep study on them with the... uh, EEG brainwaves, you know, looking at their sleep quality, what I would see is micro interruptions in their sleep as a result of taking in that short wavelength blue light, because the brain gets a bit confused when that light comes in as a signal. So even though they may not perceive any trouble getting to sleep, sleep disruption is more than likely occurring and may affect how they uh, are performing the following day. So quality may still be impaired, even if they get to sleep easily. Absolutely. I remember you and I had a conversation previously about TV versus devices. Yeah. So you were saying that the devices, while being so close up to the face, are worse than the TV, the TV less of an issue. Is that right? That's right. That's right. Yeah. So the TV is normally you know, far away from your eyes. And and I'm kind of making a distinction now because um, the younger group, you know, generations before ours are now watching TV on handheld devices. So I'm talking about, you know, the bigger TV that you have. 
So if that's, you know, 15, 20 feet away from your eyes, or maybe even 10 feet away from your eyes, it's less offensive compared to a handheld phone, tablet, or computer. Mm-hmm. Okay. So we talked about not having a consistent sleep schedule mm-hmm. as being part of the challenge. And then basically the devices that have the light, which really confuses our brains. Are there any other kind of key reasons that you think people are struggling with their sleep? Yeah, I think there's um, there's something to be said for what we consume during the day. Um, so caffeine, alcohol, even too much water in the evening, all of these things can disrupt sleep and cause you to wake up in the middle of the night. Um, And the problem there is if you wake up in the middle of the night and you've already satisfied some of your sleep need in those first few hours, then it can be very difficult to return to sleep for the second half of the night. And especially where alcohol is concerned, um, one's sleep tends to be very choppy in that second half of the night as the body continues to metabolize that alcohol. And some people are more sensitive to that than others, but if any of your listeners have trouble with nighttime awakenings or feeling like they're not well rested after a night of sleep, then those are some substances to take a look at and see if changing that may improve things. So let's pretend that the nighttime awakening is from a child, because I think you and I have both experienced that a lot. Yeah. So maybe it's not substance induced or any of those things, but you've still like taken the edge off of your sleep. And here this child comes in and is like, I need to pee and I need some water. And you've gotten up and you've moved around and you've seen a light because my boys cannot aim in the commode. I'm just going to tell you, you can't, (laughs) you can't keep the light off. It's not okay. And then you're good and awake. So what are your tips if you are up from you know, maybe normal stimulus. Cause I would say my kids wake me up in the night half of the week. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, you respond to them and, you know, when the children have a much higher sleep drive. So when, by the time that they're falling back asleep, your brain may just be revving up if you're anything like me. Mm-hmm. Um, I'll tell you a little trick. Uh, I actually have, um, this little smart light that I use, which has a red tone. So if I need to get up in the middle of the night, then turning on a red light instead of the overhead bathroom light can Mm. be a little trick. Um, So I would say a few things there. Uh, One is if you tend to have trouble sleeping after you've woken up in the middle of the night, then you would do yourself a favor to not have that wakefulness while lying in your bed. And this is to avoid the cognitive pairing that sometimes occurs between wakefulness and bed. So you you don't want to look at the bed as the place where you go to lie awake and frustrated and do the little calculations that are necessary to figure out if I fall asleep right this minute, I will have two and a half hours of sleep before my alarm goes off. That's totally me. hundred percent, hundred percent. I'm always sitting there going, how much can I still get? Yes. (laughs) (laughs) So having a nice fluffy bathrobe, get up and go into another room. 
uh, again in low light and do something relaxing and boring. Uh, plan to be awake for a half an hour, 45 minutes before you return to bed. That helps your mind to stay in a calm place instead of lying in bed, trying harder and harder to fall back asleep. Now, I've seen folks um, do anything from reading the refrigerator manual to the uh, iTunes terms and conditions um, statement as, as a way to help fall asleep. But this is actually one way where TV can come into play and be a good way to relax. So again, your TV is far away from your eyes. You can decide to watch one program. And then if you're feeling nice and relaxed, you go back to bed at that point when there's a higher chance of getting back to sleep. Mm. Another thing people might try is uh, journaling or meditations in the middle of the night, just to get in that right mindset to return to sleep. It's very interesting to me that um, when you're lying in bed and the house is dark and it's quiet, this is a time when the relationship with yourself is sort of front and center. And so it's a chance to watch your brain think its thoughts, and it's a chance to take a survey of the sensations in your body and direct that in a way that's more conducive to sleep. Absolutely. I love that. It's like tuning into metacognition, watching how you think. So I have basically two practices for my own sleep because I would say falling asleep has also been a challenge and I'm finding that for my clients and it's really calming my mind. Mm -hmm. I actually struggle when I am in the dark and it's quiet and there's no kids in my face. Bringing myself to really tune into myself and not just keep the loops of thought going about all the events of the day or the external that's one of those things I've really had to practice yeah and so I make you know a point of doing a thought dump like we were taught in coaching of just sort of getting it out really because it's almost as if there's been so much of it there that despite my best effort it's not fully come out of me yet right so I'm like okay this is your moment we're gonna we're gonna empty it but then I try to set a tone for like what what is sleep going to bring for me, right? How will the next day be with this wonderful sleep, right? So I try to sort of envision all of the positive associations that come from a really wonderful night of sleep. Mm -hmm. And But in those wake up times, I do have the tendency to my mind start running again. It's just inevitable. I'm pretty sure my brain does some miraculous things while I'm sleeping and puts my to-do list all together. And so even when I'm not interested in going and doing any of the stuff that's running through my mind, it's still there. So sometimes I have to do it again, or I have to practice, you know, some sort of mindfulness activity that really helps me focus. So for anybody that didn't know, Audrey's also a coach. She and I were in coaching training at the same time. So how do you use your coaching tools and techniques to address people and their sleep? This is 
something that I think is really worth developing. And what you're doing is um, is really intuitive. I've had so much more success helping people to fall asleep or fall back to sleep by focusing on the feelings um, rather than the thoughts. Now, the funny thing about sleep is that um, there is sort of an effect that uh, your proximity of sleep has on the quality of your thoughts. In other words, you are going to be thinking your best thoughts typically in the late morning and maybe early evening. Now, there's some variation depending on if you identify more as a morning lark or a night owl. Most people are third birds somewhere in the middle there. Mm -hmm. But one thing that is comforting for some people to know is that your brain is not thinking its best thoughts in the middle of the night. And I mention that because I hope it helps to put that into perspective, you know, the things that your brain is offering you is not of high value. And if you feel that it is getting up out of bed and writing that down onto paper to purge, to evacuate it, to get it mm-hmm. out into the physical world so that it can be properly evaluated may help you to distinguish that. Um, but getting back to the feelings, uh, one One meditation I'm developing uh, is with the feeling of abundance. So lying there and sort of meditating on this idea of abundance, noticing where it is in your body and developing a very fine-tuned description of how abundance feels in your body, I find has been a really nice way to promote the calming effects that are necessary to go back into sleep. And if nothing else, it's just a very pleasant sensation. Um, So picking something like that, for some people, it's gratitude. For other people, it's courage. For others, it's uh, uh, innovation or, you know, just something that they can focus on, picture, describe, and kind of do a mindfulness meditation around that feeling can help the brain uh, be focused in a way that allows sleep to come on. Right. Instead of it just going wherever it wants to go. Yes. yes. We're trying harder, which right. never works. Right. I absolutely, like, I think a lot of people do gratitude practice in the morning. Mm-hmm. While sometimes I do it in the morning, if that's something that I feel I need to do, a lot of times for me, it's at night because I realize that that is the place I need it. But I love the idea of abundance because really, I think, you know, we have such a scarcity culture in general, scarcity of time, scarcity of everything, that scarcity of sleep is a big one, right? So if you could feel abundant in association with sleep, like that sounds magical, like absolutely magical. (laughs) I have to and say. I think too, it's a little bit of an antidote to what people often think about in the middle of the night. Is there going to be enough time? Is there going to be enough money? Am I going to be able to do all the things? And cultivating that sense of abundance just soothes the mind into a place where it needs to be. Um, I also like 
doing deep breaths, like box breathing. I have a little Mm -hmm. bit of a variation on that, um, that I do to really engage the parasympathetic response as well. But, you know, just getting into that place where you're thinking, ah, here it is. It's nighttime. I'm awake. This time is familiar to me. And now I know what to do. Um, I, I think that can be really helpful and it's totally side effect free. Right. And it's creating a habit, really, like by doing that process every day and continuing to try that it just sort of solidifies into something that becomes very automatic, right? Mm -hmm. It it becomes something you don't even have to premeditate and think about. This is just what I do to get to sleep. Yeah. I think the lack of routines, as you sort of described at the beginning, really is harmful. And especially for someone who maybe doesn't work the same shift all the time. And so they're changing time zones. So I I am curious, I'm sitting here having these nasty flashbacks to my residency and my first attending job where we did, you know, a lot of night shifts. And I remember being a resident and navigating the switch from nights to days much better than I did in my later lifetime. Yeah. So for somebody that may frequently have disruptions to their cycle because they're changing shifts, do you have any tips for them? Definitely. Um, One thing I want to say before I talk about some practical things is that anybody who is switching uh, from days to nights and nights to days needs to have um, a lot of awareness of their mental health as they go through this, because sleep deprivation is absolutely connected to feelings of depression, feelings of anxiety, and suicidal ideation. Exactly. And uh, even psychosis uh, in Mm -hmm. extreme states of sleep deprivation. So, you know, there's, there's kind of a culture in medicine. It's not kind of, there's absolutely a culture in medicine that we are expected to perform at our best at all times. And in a lot of ways, people throw themselves under the bus in order to meet that standard. And sleep is often um, the mechanism for that. So there are simply some people that are just not cut out for shift work. And I will be the first to raise my hand there. Um, So anyone who is changing shifts may need to take a step back to look at the big picture and ask, is this truly the job schedule for me? Because your quality of life is much more important than adhering to that schedule if it's not a good biological fit. Mm -hmm. Um, If you're someone in a shift work situation, uh, you do want to take pains to manage your light exposure. So for example, if you're coming off of a night shift, then wearing dark glasses on your drive home, uh, making sure that you have your blackout shades or your eye shades um, to manage your your light exposure, um, those are really important things. Uh, And then managing your physical activity is another way to do that. So making sure you're having a contrast between your wakefulness period and your sleep period with exercise, getting your heart rate up and such. 
Um, in some cases, uh, melatonin can be helpful. Now, I would only recommend this if you're doing like several days in a row of nights, for example. So if you have like a seven day on, seven day off schedule, taking melatonin uh, in the morning when you get home might be helpful to promote not only getting to sleep, but maintaining sleep over the course of the day as you recover from your night of work. Um, something that uh, is easier now that winter is coming on is a very cool bedroom. And for people who sleep during the daytime hours, uh, this is a point that is of more value compared to folks who have uh, more typical sleep schedules. But Having your bedroom at around 65 degrees or even lower as you try to sleep during the day can really help promote um, that sleep continuity. And then when you're trying to go back, because I remember, I remember as a resident, I just wouldn't go to bed. I actually was capable of that. And I would go for a run and I would try really hard to sort of get all of the light stimulation and the physical activity. And then I would probably go to bed early that night, right? Like I might go to bed at five or 6 PM and sleep till the next morning yeah. with, with some of a hangover feeling the next day, but, but not as bad, but I can tell you as I aged, that became less doable as I had children that needed to be fed or taken somewhere. And so it became really disjointed. And I really, it wasn't just coming home to, to exercise and then sort of veg out. It was very active home. Mm. And so staying up all day, no, like it just did not happen. So is there some magic amount of sleep that gets you to the evening so that you can function because it sort of feels like by the seventh night you've gotten your clock sort of adjusted there right yeah and then you got to bring yourself back and it's just like equal torture on the way down <laughs> yeah I, I think hats off to shift workers because there's always some coping going on from what I can tell um yes as you as you get older, as your responsibilities and the demands on your time increase, that can reduce the amount of flexibility you have in your um, in your being for sleep changes. I also think that um, it can be a bit harder to fill up your gas tank, so to speak. You know, you're kind of functioning on um, less sleep than may be ideal for you. Uh, typically for adults, the minimum amount of sleep is going to be around six hours before you really have impaired performance and impaired cognition. Uh, if that's happening on a routine basis, then again, I, I would sort of look at um, what you're trying to accomplish with your job and, and really question if that's the right job for you to be in. So there seems to be a cutoff uh, around the six hour mark. Um, interesting to know that people who sleep less than six hours routinely can expect to gain about 10 pounds or so per year uh, as the deck as the years passed with that sleep schedule. And um, there was a study of young, healthy college-aged men 
um, way back when, who were getting uh, four hours of sleep per night. And within a week of this, they had actually developed impaired glucose tolerance. And it is known that routinely getting less than six hours of sleep for anyone uh, is going to significantly increase the risk of things like diabetes and high blood pressure. So it is uh, impact, impacting your health, um, not just your day-to-day -day life. Right. Absolutely. So for anybody out there who wants some sort of motivation to sleep more, if you still aren't on board, just think about it. More than six hours is going to make your diabetes likelihood less high. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> Or the it actually gain. has an effect on your, your appetite too. Um, the hormone ghrelin, which mm -hmm. signals for hunger, goes up with yep. when you're sleep deprived. And if you are someone um, who's, you know, at the nurse's station in the middle of the night and, and donuts and pizza has been brought in, then your resistance to those types of foods is lower. Uh, your appetite is higher. So it's like a double whammy in that yes. case. 100%. And I, so I remember when I had my first child, and it's funny, I thought that residency, I had him in residency, but I really thought like, I couldn't possibly be more tired than as a resident <laughs> doing on call. And then he came and I was like, Oh, no, this is worse. This is so much worse. You and unlocked I, a new level. <laughs> I did. I did. I unlocked a new level of the game. And I remember just how ravenously hungry I was, especially during the early months with him, because, you know, this was like a every two to three hours, but really he was sort of colicky and only wanted to sleep upright because he had horrible reflux, like all babies do. And I just, I remember sitting there thinking like, where are the carbs at? Like I need the carbs stat. And I was, I had never really been a big carb eater pre-pregnancy or anything like that. But I just remember thinking like, I just felt so depleted all the time. Yeah. And so, you know, what you're saying is so true because I have never been more hungry. And I'm sure that was a combination of the breastfeeding plus being sleep deprived. But by God, I needed like they sent us home with this huge gift basket from the hospital that was like filled with carbs. I decimated that thing like the first five days. I was like, I'm so tired. I have no energy. I need this. Um, so it's very interesting sort of the ripple effect that our sleep deprivation gives in so many directions. Totally. Yeah. And, you know, for me, it was biscuits and gravy after a night of call. I'm not a big sweets person, but, um, you know, when, when you're, when you're down and you're deprived and that word has a lot of layers, doesn't it? Because you're not just sleep deprived. Um, you can be deprived of a lot of things when you find mm -hmm. yourself hungry for something. And, you know, your reward center needs some attention. And so you're going after food, you're going after alcohol, you're going after shopping or uh, being online. And your toddler brain is out to play because the part of your brain that is sleep deprived, it's is the new parent part, right? That puts the brakes on that toddler brain uh, mm -hmm. that id, if you will. So you're you're not functioning with your best self, as it were. 100%. I 
my post call was biscuits and gravy too, by the way. It was I love that. biscuits and gravy with a scrambled egg. Like that was the magic for me for some reason. But yes, a hundred percent. I I also kind of call it the toddler brain. And um I find that people really beat themselves up for those moments, right? Where they're not their best selves. So I loved that earlier you sort of pointed out like in the middle of the night when you're having all of these thoughts, this is not your brain in its best moment. You know, we're not repleted yet. We've not done our sleeping and we're just not firing on all cylinders. So I think those are very important points for everybody to really get is that we have these moments under deprivation where our brain is just not healthy in those moments, right? Right. And that that is something that you can examine and it doesn't always have to be that way. Um, you know, th- once people are able to recover their sleep, even just by recovering their sleep schedule, the sleep schedule that human beings were meant to have, <clears throat> then that feeling can abate, it can go away and you can start to feel whole again. This is something that doesn't take a whole lot of attention to replenish. And that's a fantastic thing because you can have some very dark moments when you're sleep deprived. So Mm -hmm. fixing that, correcting that and treating yourself gently will get you back on the right track. Absolutely. hundred percent. Okay. So Audrey, tell me the things that people never want to hear from you. The things that people are really resistant to hearing. Uh, the, the things that make me feel unpopular. Um, yeah. The, so one thing uh, relates back to the discussion we were having about light. So I, I think that because of how pervasive uh, social media and light and these electronics are, even for those who are uh, working a lot or high achievers trying to keep up with everything, Having your device in bed at night um, is just really seductive. And I think people don't want to hear that. And, you know, folks ask me, well, you know, I really can't avoid that. So what can I do in that case? Um, If that's true, I would suggest a couple of things. So modern devices now have this um, night setting, which is okay, not great. If you really want to protect um, your your brain from that light exposure, then I would suggest getting a pair of blue blocking glasses and be really attentive to wearing those at night, two hours uh, before your bedtime and up until your bedtime. Now, you know you're having the right amount of blue light blockage if you have uh, lenses in your blue light glasses that are orange. They really need to be visibly orange. And uh, gamers wear these. You might even see them on uh, some of those gambling shows for pro- professional gamblers. But uh, that orange helps to neutralize the blue light that your brain is exposed to. Hmm. So the other thing um, that people really hate hearing, um, but I'll beat this drum until the end of my career and beyond, I'm sure, is you need to have a regular sleep schedule that allows for a healthy amount of sleep if you really want to soak up all the benefits that your sleep uh, can give you and your health. So it turns out the wake-up time is slightly 
better to keep regular than the bedtime. So waking up at the same time every day, seven days a week. Wiggle room there would be maybe plus or minus a half an hour. If you're somebody um, who has a very weak circadian rhythm, you might uh, hone in to the exact same time. But that helps to reset your brain's body clock every single day to make your, your sleep at night more predictable and your wake up time in the morning more predictable. So the analogy I like to use is it's like um, when you're driving, you want to make the bedtime a stoplight and you're going to, you know where that stoplight is. It's the same place every time. So it's like a stoplight that you stop at on the way to your home. You're very familiar with that stoplight. And as a result, you can break smoothly right up until that stoplight and stop the car. And then your brain understands this is the time to sleep efficiently. Whereas if the stoplight is moving or you don't know where it is, you're kind of doing the pulse on the brake and it takes you a lot longer to slow down to a stop. And then in the morning, you know, again, you know where that stoplight is. It turns green. You've got your foot on the accelerator, smooth rev up to the speed limit, and you're ready to start your day. I'll give you a little fun fact. Uh, a lot of people, when they first wake up, they're already assessing how their quality of sleep felt the night before. You know, they wake up in the morning. Okay, how did I sleep last night? Well, in the first hour, you should just let those thoughts flow right through you. It's, you're not going to do yourself any good. But after an hour of being awake, then you can think about how was my sleep quality the night before, because your circadian rhythm isn't fully online yet. And so you're likely to underestimate your sleep quality if you do it too soon. Hmm. That is fascinating. I did not know that. Okay, now if they wanted to find those blue blocker glasses, where would they find those? Is that just like an Amazon item or? Definitely. I, I think uh, Amazon is one of the only places I shop anymore. The The kind uh, that I have are called Prospec, P-R-O-S-P-E-K. Um, I like them because of the way they fit. But really, um, you know, if you just did a Google search, for any blue blocker glasses, you could find them. In fact, um, they carry some safety glasses at Home Depot, which will do the same thing for you. So you could have a pair of construction sort of lenses. And for some people, they like that because they will actually fit over your prescription glasses. And mm -hmm. so if that's something you need, then that is available to you. Very interesting. I'm I'm going to look to see if I can find nightlights that are red. Red, not yeah. blue. Um, <laughs> because, you know, my kids are still at the age that they love their nightlight. And um, yeah. my oldest likes to stay up reading. And we've sort of managed to figure that part out. Um, and he has like a pair of headphones that are wireless that hook up to my phone so that he has no screen, but that like plays him a sleep story from Calm because he's got oh, a lot yeah. of... He's got a lot of sort of anxiety and perseveration of thought at night. So doing a sleep story or like a kid's meditation from the sleep app really helps him without the light factor. Awesome. Instead, mom has the light factor in her room. So I'm going to get a pair of glasses. It's going to happen. Yeah. 
<laughs> now tell everybody about your program because you sort of have a special niche within the coaching and sleep realm. And I have no doubt there are going to be listeners that would really benefit from that. Yeah. Um, thanks for mentioning that. So in my um in my coaching practice, what I am doing right now is um creating a program for people with sleep apnea who are trying to get fully treated with comfort and ease. Now, anybody who is using a CPAP machine will probably laugh thinking that that is not possible. And in my mind, it's totally possible, but you have to kind of figure out the steps to get there. So I, this is a pain point I had as a practicing sleep medicine physician, not being able to help people get the support and the education that they needed to get their sleep apnea fully treated. So I'm helping people with that. And I've got an online course that not only addresses the education piece and the knowledge piece, but also the mindset that you need to accept a medical machine coming into your home and wearing a mask on your face uh, throughout your sleep period. And for those who you know, ultimately cannot or choose not to use CPAP, I'm putting information out there about what alternatives might be available um, so that they can move on to something that's going to work for them. Wonderful. That's amazing. So what has your feedback been so far for your program? Uh, it's really blown my hair back. Um, I did a beta test course over the summer and just got really warm responses from folks. And that course I delivered live. And then I turned it uh, all into this um sort of slide presentation that I narrate and I've polished it up. And that's going to be released. Um, we've already done sort of a founders group release, getting great feedback from that. Uh, so that'll be re-released in a couple of weeks and then probably again in January. Um, so if people are interested in finding out more, they can go to my website, which is supersleepmd.com and check out when the release dates are coming up. I also host a private Facebook group for um, people with sleep apnea, where I'm answering questions and helping people navigate their therapies, no matter what that looks like. And um, we're just really starting to build a community of support there. And do you also have a podcast? I don't. I think at some point I would love to do something like you're doing, Kathy. And um, for the time being, I'm not having the bandwidth, but I do see that is coming in the future. That's okay. I'm proud of you for calling <laughs> the whole, I don't have the bandwidth yet. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I think that's, that is not typical of us type A's. So the fact that you yeah. you came out there and said no bandwidth yet. That's strong work. <laughs> it did take me some time to accept that. But um, yeah, you know, I I uh, have tried to be, be focused and um, really to practice what I preach. So I'm getting better. I understand. And this is very, I think this conversation will be really helpful for the listeners because, um, you know, to get good sleep and good sleep quality, you really have to want it. Like you have to put forth the effort to, as you said, have a regular sleep schedule, 
put the devices away and really get yourself into that relaxing, calm place. And if you don't put that investment in, the sleep quality is not going to be there, even if you're laying down. But I also think, um, you know, there's this subset of the population, probably the majority of the population, where people stay up late to finish their to-do list, right? Mm -hmm. And so I've been having a big conversation about time management and priorities on the podcast, specifically making a point that like, don't leave your most important stuff to the end of the night, right? Because what should be left are the things that the sleep is more important, Yeah, that the sleep takes precedence and the rest of it rolls off to the next day. Because I have yet to have a day where my to-do list is completely checked off. It's just not going to happen. My eyes are always bigger than my stomach in that regard. <laughs> And that's okay. You yeah. know, I, I think to your point, people need to be more excited about their sleep because it's something that replenishes our humanness. It helps us to self-actualize. It helps us to be who we really want to be emotionally, cognitively, and even our physical performance. We simply cannot function on an empty gas tank and you have an opportunity to fill up every single night again and again and again. Making that choice over your to-do list is sometimes difficult, but it's you will be rewarded the next mm -hmm. day. Okay, y'all, you heard it here first. Sleep helps us be more of who we want to be Definitely. with Dr. Audrey Wells. Thank you so much for coming on. Great to see you, Kathy. Thank you. Are you ready to get started building that life you don't need a vacation from? Well, visit me at kathywhaleymd.com for free resources, links to the blog, and information about upcoming events. There are many different ways to work with me, and if we aren't a good fit, I'll be happy to refer you to someone who is. I am right here rooting for you.